the book of Galatians. We read five verses this morning. I want to go back and read them tonight again. And we're going to go back and take our time and look at each one of these verses. And I'm preaching on Christian classic statements out of the book of Galatians. Gleanings from the book of Galatians. Five wonderful verses. I believe tonight that Paul gives us that explains and exemplifies the glory, the wonder, the treasure of the Christian life. And Paul is careful to tell us in this book of Galatians that being a Christian is not just going through the motions of religious activity. It is not participating in tradition or Christian traditions. But being a Christian is knowing Christ as Savior and following Christ as Lord. Let me say that again. It is knowing Christ as Savior and following Christ as Lord. And I'm glad tonight He is our Savior, but He's also our Lord. And it is a wonder, it is a privilege, it is an honor to be called a Christian. And what the world meant in derision and in mockery. Look at those little Christ. The world paid us the greatest compliment that we've ever been paid. Because I wonder if I see anybody in this room tonight, you're not ashamed to identify with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He died for us and he bled for us and he arose for us. And I thank God tonight that I am rather be an old-time Christian than anything that I know. And let's read these five wonderful verses, five classic Christian statements that Paul makes. When we looked at the first one this morning, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me, and the life that which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And we put down beside of that verse this one word, the mandate of a Christian. What do we have to have in our life to become a Christian? Well, you've got to realize that Christ died for you. Then you have to, by faith, approach him. And then when you get the for and the by, I'm glad he lives in us. The mandate of a Christian. I want us to come tonight to the second verse, chapter number 3 and verse number 24. We'll come back to that one and enlarge on it in just a moment. But notice this wonderful, classic Christian statement. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Say this line out loud with me. That we might be justified by faith. I have beside of that verse the heading, the making of a Christian. What have you got to have in your life to make you a Christian? We'll go back to it in just a moment. Statement number three. Come to chapter number six, if you will, in verse number nine. Wonderful verses. Chapter six, Galatians, verse number nine. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I'm glad it pays to be a Christian. And I have beside of that this word, the motive of a Christian. What motivates us to live the Christian life? Same chapter, chapter number 6, look at verse number 14. Notice this powerful, classic Christian statement. 
chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And think about this tonight. The greatest Christian outside of Christ himself, the great missionary, the great pastor, the great evangelist, the great New Testament penman, 14 books in the New Testament from the pen of Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said at the end of his life, God forbid that I should glory, save in one thing, and that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have written down beside of that verse this word, the message of a Christian. You know what our message is tonight? Christ, Him crucified, risen, and coming again. And then the last statement, chapter number 6, again in verse number 17. I believe the most powerful of all of these verses. Notice Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And I got written down beside of that verse, this heading, the marks of a Christian. And if you look at them five verses, I don't believe you'll find in all the Bible a greater explanation or an example of what the Christian life really is. The mandate of a Christian. I love that. Not only the mandate of a Christian, but the making of a Christian. The motive of a Christian, the message of the Christian, and the marks of the Christian. And how many believe tonight that old-time salvation, becoming a Christian, will put a mark on you. And it will make a difference in your life. We looked at Galatians 2.20 this morning. Let's come tonight to Galatians 3 and verse number 24. Now, I know we've been here a while today. We've camped out all day. And I'm not going to preach to midnight, but I want to give you this. I believe it will help you. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 24, I call it the making of a Christian. What happens in somebody's life to make them a follower, a believer, a saved person in Christ? Well, notice what he said in verse 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. What does that do? To bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now, what is the law? Well, the law is the Old Testament and its entirety. I've never seen this before, but several years ago, I met a man on the south side of town. And he goes to a Baptist church not far from here. And their church, their pastor, preaches, believes, emphasizes that the Old Testament is not inspired. That the Old Testament is not the Word of God. He doesn't preach from the Old Testament. He doesn't, uh, well, so-called allow his members to read the Old Testament. He said none of that is relevant for our day. Now, I'm not going to argue with this, dear brother. He's several, several years older than me, and that means he's older than dirt. But my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, quoted the Old Testament. In fact, when Jesus said, search the Scriptures, 
He was referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament had not been canonized. By the way, when Jesus defeated the devil in the wilderness temptation and said three times, it is written, it is written, it is written, he was quoting from the Old Testament. You remember after Jesus was buried and arose again? And the Bible said those two disciples, I, I personally believe that was Cleophas and his wife, Mary, the, the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We're not going to get into an argument about that. But as these two disciples were on the road to Emmaus, Jesus walked up and began to talk to them and inquired why they were so sad. And they said, man, haven't you heard? This man, Jesus, they've crucified him. They buried him. He's supposed to be alive. We don't know where he is. They, had no, they were like Baptists. They had no idea they were talking to Jesus. And the Bible said that Jesus, listen to this, beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, listen to this line, open unto them the scriptures, expounding unto them the things concerning himself. Now that brings me to something tonight. If Jesus quoted the Old Testament, if Jesus fought the devil with the Old Testament, if Jesus preached the Old Testament, and by the way, when he went to the Jewish synagogue, he read from Isaiah 64. If Jesus preached from the Old Testament and quoted the Old Testament and defeated the devil with the Old Testament, then I believe it is relevant for our day. You cannot separate the two. I've said it a thousand times in the last 39 years. At this one at this one place, I know you're tired of hearing it, but let me emphasize it. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Glory. In the Old Testament, somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. From Genesis to Malachi, somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Jacob sees him in a ladder. Moses sees him in the shadows of the tabernacle. Elijah finds him in a cave. The Hebrew boys find him in the furnace. Daniel finds him in the lion's den. Uh, uh, Isaiah sees him hewed out of the rock, not made with hands. The son of righteousness, healing in his wings, the branch, the fountain. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. But in the New Testament, hallelujah, that somebody has come and is coming again. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, aren't you glad we have a two-edged sword? An Old Testament, and thank God, a New Testament. You remember when Esther goes before the king and says, Please, let my people live. That law you sign in a lustful, drunken stupor that on a certain day all the Jews and Shushan the palace are going to die. That's my people. Please, please let my people live. Let your queen live. Don't you understand? And that old king looked at Esther and said, I got a problem. I'm a king and I've already signed the law. I can't even break my own word. I've sealed it with the signet ring of authority. I can't break my own law. I'm a king, but I can't break my own law. And I believe she looked at it with one of those women manipulating tear-filled looks and says, I know, but you can write a new one. 
I know you can't break the old law, but you can write a new one. And so the king wrote a... And so the king wrote a new law that on a certain day at a certain time, the Jews and Shushan the palace don't have to die. They can live. And in my personal Bible reading the other night, I read this at 2 o'clock in the morning. I tore the motel down. It said, and they had a good day. Oh, anytime an old sinner gets saved, it's a good day. Anytime you have a festival instead of a funeral, it's a good day. Anytime you got celebration instead of crying, it's, it's a good day. Anytime weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning, that is a good day. And all that old law the king wrote says, you're going to die. But the new law the king wrote says, you're going to live. Oh, God gave us the first law. God gave us the old law. God gave us the Old Testament. And it says that we're sinners and we're ungodly and we're wicked. And if we die in our sin, where He is, we cannot come. And brother, it puts a death sentence on all of us. But aren't you glad 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary, He wrote a new covenant. By the way, in the book of Esther, when that king wrote that second law, that new law, the one of life, He gave it to men called postmen. And they got on their little horses. And they rode out through the town. Now, you young people, this is going to blow your mind. But that was a time when there was huh, no internet. Now, I know Al Gore said he invented it. I don't know if he did or not, but I'm going to tell you something. There was a time, young people. Honest. I'm not lying, Hudson. There was a time when there was. He don't believe me. There was no internet. There was a time when there was no printed page. There was a time when there were no cell phones. Somebody said, Brother Joe, what did you do before you had a cell phone? I said, I had five minutes of peace. And what they would do to get the message out along the road at intervals, there was a wooden post. And the man that was giving the message of the king was called a postman. You know why it was called that? Because he would take the message of the king and he would nail it to that post. He would take the message of the king and nail it to that post. Try it like this. He would take the message of the king and nail it to a wooden beam. So those going down the road would see the message nailed to a wooden beam. Oh, that was a law that went out and said, you're going to die. Oh, but he wrote a new law and they nailed it to a wooden beam and it says, you can live. I wonder how many is glad 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary, God wrote a new law and He nailed it to the cross. And you can live, you can live, you can live. The law says you're dead, but grace says you can live. And that's what in our text tonight Paul is referring to in our verse tonight when he said, For the law was our schoolmaster. And I want you to think tonight in your mind, you school teachers and you ex-school teachers are going to hate this illustration. But in your mind, think of the meanest, ugliest, <laughs> most contrary. You should have never had a teacher like that. 
At one point in my life, I thought all of them looked like that. And I don't know if we live in a different generation or not, but I never wanted to kiss any of my school teachers. None of them. They all looked like they were 200 years old. And mean and mean and mean. And you think of the most mean, diabolical, shriveling. Anybody want me to move on? A schoolmaster. I want to tell you something. How many remember going to school when you got out of line? They didn't call time out. They didn't put you in a corner. They got on with it. I tell you what, let's do tonight. An honest confession is good for the soul. How many in this room tonight are old enough to remember getting a paddling at school? And home. Yeah, how many of you are like me? If you got one at school, you better not tell nobody because you're going to get one at home too. And I mean, ladies and gentlemen, a schoolmaster, he was there to discipline those students. He was there to teach those students because they need to learn how to read and write and add and subtract. There are things they need to learn because it's going to help their life, a schoolmaster. You didn't know, so that's why they taught you. And ladies and gentlemen, they instill discipline in your life, a schoolmaster. Well, the Bible said in our text tonight that the law, the Old Testament in its entirety, was like our school master. And what did the Bible say in our text tonight? That the law, the school master did, brought us to Christ. Because you and it did, it revealed our lost condition. Have you ever had a school teacher to say this to you in days gone by? Now, class, I can tell you this information. I can give you this information. But I cannot learn this for you. I cannot take this test for you. I can teach you. I can try to learn you. But you have to make a conscience choice to learn it and receive it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible said that the law, The Old Testament in its entirety was our schoolmaster. And what was the purpose of the schoolmaster? To bring you to a better understanding. But just like your school teacher could not learn this for you or take this test for you, the law can tell you that you're lost, undone, wicked, headed to a devil's hell without God, but the law cannot save you. Keeping the law cannot save you. The law cannot redeem you. The law cannot forgive you. Ladies and gentlemen, the law of God in its pure virgin form is tough. It's brutal. It's truth. I read the other day when those old-time preachers would go to a town to do a citywide revival. They would preach four and five weeks straight every night and not even give an invitation. 
They would preach four to five, six weeks every night on the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and the judgment of God and the wrath of God and hell is hot and God is holy and you must be born again. And after about five to six weeks of every night dangling that congregation over the fires of hell in light of the mercy of God, Then they would run to the cross. Then they would preach the cross. They would preach the blood. They would preach Calvary. And they got saved by the thousands and the thousands and the thousands. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you don't appreciate a solution until you realize you got a problem. You don't appreciate the mercy of God and the love of God and the grace of God and the salvation of God till you get confronted with the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and the sovereignty of God and the judgment of God. You know why I'm so excited tonight that I'm going to heaven? Because there was a time in my life I got afraid I was going to go to hell. Ladies and gentlemen, the law is our schoolmaster. It tells us that we're unclean. It tells us that we're undone. It tells us that we're unworthy. It tells us that we cannot go to heaven on our own. The law says things like this. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. That's what it said. It says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Hell has enlarged itself to meet thee at thy coming. Your iniquities have separated you from God. And over and over again, man, that law says you're lost, you're unworthy, you're unclean, and you're undone, and you're going to go to hell. You're going to face the wrath and the punishment and the judgment of God. Man, that's what the law says. But aren't you glad one night in a little manger in Bethlehem, the stars shone and the shepherds shouted and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to keep the law and fulfill the law and go to that cross and take your place in mine and die for our sin and shed His blood and people like you and I can shout today, we're forgiven, we're We're redeemed. We're saved, justified, born again because the law didn't save us. It was our schoolmaster and it brought us to Christ to the realization that we needed a Savior. Think about this every morning. Most people, and I've been to Walmart past midnight and some people ain't never done this, but most normal people get up every day and they go to the bathroom And they look at a mirror. Somebody said, do you get up in the morning and use a horoscope? When I look at myself in the mirror, that's the only horror I can handle for that moment. And you look into that mirror and you see something needs to be done to your hair. Or something needs to be done to the place where your hair used to exist, may I say that. And something needs to be done to your face. And man, you see the imperfection. But I guarantee you tonight, nobody jerks the mirror off the wall and washes your face in it. 
You can rub your face against a mirror all you want, and it's not going to fix your face. It's not going to fix your hair. It's not going to remove one bit of dirt from your face. But ladies and gentlemen, at the bottom of that mirror is a sink, a basin, hooked up to clean, pure, running water. And as you look into that mirror, it shows you something needs to be done. That sleep, all of that filth has to be removed from your face. But the mirror itself has no cleansing power. It is a revealer, but it is not a remover. But at the base of the, of the sink is the water that cleanses and the soap that cleanses. And you use that to remove the dirt and wash your face and renew yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what the law is. It is a mirror. It shows us our lostness, our need. We're undone. We're unclean. We're unworthy. But it has no power in itself to remove and forgive and restore and redeem. But aren't you glad there is a new covenant, a covenant of mercy and a covenant of grace that's not just a revealer, it is the remover. And we go to the cross and God does something about our sins. What's the making of a Christian? They realize they're lost. They realize they're headed for hell. They realize they can't save themselves because the Bible said in our text that the law was nothing more than our schoolmaster bringing us to God. For we must be, here it is now, justified by faith. Think about this tonight. If you could keep enough rules to be saved, if you could do enough good works to be saved, if you could say enough religious things to be saved, there would be no boundary, there would be no limits, there'd be no borders, and it would constantly change. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible said we're justified by faith. That never changes. He said, Brother Joe, faith in what? Faith in what God has written in his word. That the law is not our salvation. Christ is our salvation. The fulfiller of the law. Amen. The keeper of the law. Christ is our hope. Christ is our forgiver. Christ is our restorer. Christ is our savior. Christ is our redeemer. Christ is our salvation. And I love the word that he used in the text. The law is the schoolmaster. It brings us to God, but we are, I love this now, justified by faith. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen one or not, but years ago, the pictures of the scales. That was the little pots on each side, the little chains and the little line in the middle. And what you wanted to weigh, you put on this scale, and you had weights that you put on the other side, and you knew how much something weighed when the scale was lined up facing the top in the middle. It's called balancing the scales. I remember being on one side and all it was was lost, condemned, unfit, unsaved, unclean, unworthy. And you put some church membership on that side. And it doesn't move the scale. 
You put some good works on that side, and it doesn't move the scale. You put some church membership and some water baptism and some communion and, and turn over a few leaves on that side, but it never balances the scales. But one moment in time, you are revealed by the Holy Spirit that Christ and Christ alone balances the scales. And you cry out to God for grace and mercy and redemption and salvation. I'll tell you, somebody preached the truth up in here now. And when Jesus steps on the other side of that scale, the scale points upward. And now you're not out of whack. Now you're not out of scales. Now you're not off balance. Here it is now. You're just right. And you know what it means to be justified? It means just right. Just exactly what God said. Just as though you have never even been sinner. Let me tell you how wonderful justification is. You don't have a past. Someone said, my past has been bothering me. If you're saved, you don't have one. Oh, you may have one in your mind. You may have one in your lost loved ones. You may have one around some of your old friends. But when the one that really counts God, you don't have a past. Because when you trust Christ as Savior, that is the first day of the rest of your life. I mean, if you ask God, what sins are you talking about? He says, I don't remember them anymore. I stepped upon the scales. I righted the scales. You're not off balance, but you are justified. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't live good enough to get justified. You can't keep enough rules to be justified. You can't say enough religious jargon to be justified. But tonight, if you will throw yourself on the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of Calvary, you can be justified. Because Christ is the justifier. In closing tonight, the book of Galatians, they're wanting to argue with Paul. Some say religion is the way to salvation. Circumcision is the way to salvation. The Old Testament rituals is the way to salvation. Paul says, listen, church, all of that was our schoolmaster. To reveal unto us how lost we were, to bring us to God. Paul says, if you're ever going to have the scales righted, we're justified by faith. Christ is still the answer. You know what I'm afraid a lot of people are going to do? They're going to fool around with so much religion and get so familiar with religious activity and religious jargon. They're going to be like Judas. They're going to kiss the door of heaven and before morning walk through the gates of hell. Listen to your preacher tonight. It would be a sad thing to die without God and go to hell from any place. Whether it was from the Amazon River or the dark, darkest jungle of Asia or one of the stretched mines of Africa. It would be an awful thing to die without God and go to a devil's hell. But I believe tonight the worst thing that could happen to anybody is to die without God and go to hell from a church pew. Because we have it in our mind that religion 
is enough. Good works is enough. Living a good life is enough. I've witnessed to a man not long ago that goes to a mega church not far from here. And I said, hey, man, if you died today, you know to go to heaven. He said, I don't know that. You don't know that. I said, now, wait a minute. I do. How come you don't? He said, well, my preacher said last Sunday, we live the best we can. And we do the best we can. Now, listen to this. Listen to this. And one day when I die and when I go to the judgment, if my good outweighs my bad, then I'm going to make it in. I said, sir, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've never met one person on planet Earth that's done enough good where it's going to outweigh their bad. And can I make a commercial right here? Aren't you glad your children and your children's children don't have to hear that heresy from this pulpit? Because I don't know of anybody, Joseph, I don't know of anybody that can think and do enough good that outweigh their bad. But I want to tell you there is one, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to the cross. Hallelujah. Shed his blood, arose again the third day, ascended on high, inspired the Bible, sent the Holy Spirit, pricked my heart, called me by name. Yeah, he is the one that is good enough to outweigh all of our bad. And Jesus is his name because we're justified by faith. And can I say this tonight in closing? Anything more or less than that is a counterfeit. Well, they told me if I joined the church, I'd be saved. They told you wrong. But if I let a preacher or a priest or an actor uh, put a piece of bread on my tongue, it'll forgive me of my sins. They told you wrong. But they told me if I would confess my sins to the preacher, he could expunge them. No, they told you wrong. There's only one that can take away your sin. And write your name in the Lamb's book of life and put beside of the ledger of your name in heaven. Justified. Born again. Saved. Forgiven. And his name is Jesus Christ. And I say in closing tonight, you miss Jesus, you miss God, you miss God, you miss heaven. If you miss heaven, you miss it all. But thank God for the making of a Christian. For the law is our schoolmaster. It brings us to God. For we must be justified by faith. I believe that's what the songwriter had in mind when they pinned down the words, Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Man didn't have legal trouble. He, God didn't send a lawyer. He didn't have physical trouble. God didn't send a doctor. He didn't have financial trouble. And God didn't send a banker. But he had a sin problem. And God sent a Savior. And I'm glad he's my Savior. Is he your Savior tonight? Has there ever been a time in your life when you've done what Amber's saying? I choose to be a Christian. He dealt with your heart. He drew you to himself. And I love this. And gave you the power of choice to say yes. I wonder how many tonight says, I said yes. And I'm glad I said yes. And if I had to do it over again, and you don't, 
But if I had to do it over again, I would still say yes. Let's stand together. Lord, we love you.